Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible class, a Bible study every Sunday morning. For those who cannot be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha, but also for those who are listening across the country and literally around the world by means of the internet. We're thankful that we have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's word through such a widespread medium as the internet and by means of these podcasts. Now, even people in Omaha, there are some we know who would like to be under the sound of God's word in person, but they're unable through disabilities or work schedules or whatever the case might be. But thanks to the internet, we can still get them into God's word. And so they want to study. They want to be under the sound of the Bible. And we're thankful for that. Now, if you're in the Omaha area and you're able to be with us in person, we encourage you to do so. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. Sunny Slope Church of Christ, 3606 North 108th Street. Bible classes begin on Sunday mornings at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30. And then Sunday evenings, we come back together at 6 o'clock for another period of worship and Bible study. And then on Wednesday evenings, middle of the week, good time to set aside our busy schedules and get our spiritual batteries recharged for the rest of the week. We come back together each Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock for midweek Bible classes. You're welcome to any and all of these services. We also encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, with family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. Get somebody else into God's Word, and maybe you can help them even get to heaven. Now, also, Take advantage and tell everybody else about our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free, always will be free. And when you sign up for our podcasting, you'll automatically receive to your smart device, whether that's your phone or computer or whatever, you will automatically receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and a Monday through Friday daily radio program called Search the Scriptures, and a short Bible study every single day, seven days a week, only about 13 minutes each day, but it keeps us in God's Word, and that's critical for our faith because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. We call that daily Bible study, today's Bible class. All of that will go to your smart device for free and always will be there automatically so you can listen as you have the opportunity. So take advantage of that and tell everybody else as well. We're going to get back into our study from the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. We've been studying through the first five books, and this is the sixth book in the Old Testament scriptures. And basically what we're doing is studying through first the early history of mankind, going back to the first few chapters of Genesis, but then picking up with Abraham, the bloodline through which God would raise up the nation of Israel, and through that nation, he would send a Savior into the world, Jesus, the Christ. And so this is really what we've been in for oh, through most of these first five and a half books so far, is the, the, what we might call the early history of Israel, beginning with Abraham again, and now 
as the nation of Israel grew through the bloodline of Abraham, developed into a populous peoples in the, while they were in living in Egypt. But then we saw in the book of Exodus, the early chapters, that they had become basically enslaved after they grew into such large numbers within the boundaries of the nation of Egypt. The Pharaoh basically put them into slavery because he feared that they could at, at the numbers that they had reached by that time, that they could, they could kind of align themselves with an outside enemy of Egypt and then fight against the government, fight against Egypt, take it over, conquer it. And so he basically made slaves of them. Well, he made it so hard on them that they cried to God in prayer for deliverance, and God sent Moses and Aaron to lead them out of Egyptian bondage. So then we saw how they they had led Moses and Aaron by God's guidance and direction, had led them uh, out of Egypt through the wilderness wandering, and then ultimately to the borders of of uh, the promised land, which was the land of Canaan, and that would become the nation of Israel. And so in Joshua, we see they have crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, and they have begun to fight the battles to conquer the land because God said, when you get there, the people who live there, and there were all kinds of different, different peoples living there. We might call them different nationalities, sort of, although they lived all in that one basic general country. God says, you don't have anything to do with those people as far as relationships are concerned because they're idol worshipers. They don't believe in me. They don't follow me. So if you start developing relationships with them of one kind or another, they will become a thorn in your side, the scripture says. In other words, they'll become a, you know, a temptation. The devil will use them to lead you into idol worship, and idols are nothing. Idols are simply objects. They're statues, images, carvings. They are, they are nothing. They are not gods at all. And so, you don't want to put yourself into that kind of potential jeopardy by being influenced by those peoples to turn away from me and start worshiping images. So you either drive them out in battles or destroy them in battles. You either drive them out of that land. I want that land to be purified as you enter it and take possession of it. And you either destroy them in battle or drive them out but have no relationships with them. Now, it's interesting that as we pick up with uh, chapter 9 today in the book of Joshua, we find, we find a real challenge to that particular instruction from God to the people of Israel. Now, again, Moses led them up to the eastern border of the, of the promised land, the Jordan River crossing the Jordan River, they'd be in the promised land. And that's where they are right now when we come to chapter 9 of the book of Joshua. Moses could not enter the promised land because, because of a sin that he had committed back in the wilderness, uh, leading the people. He had taken glory for himself and for his brother Aaron rather than giving it to God at a particular point in time. And so God said, well, you're not going to be able to enter the promised land now. So he led, the, he, used, he, he led Moses to lead the people all the way to the border, to the eastern bank of the Jordan River. And then he allowed Moses to look into the land and see the land. But then God took him and buried him in a place where nobody knew 
nor, nor has anybody ever come to know. Uh, and and I suggested that that was possibly because God knew that the people, they had so honored Moses, so revered him as a servant of God and a leader for them, appointed by God, that they could come to see his burial site as a holy place and, and worship at that place, and maybe even worship Moses, uh, his, his memory at that place. And that could actually serve to be kind of a snare for them and maybe influence them into the practice of idolatry, the worship of idols as well. Now, it's just a, a, a supposition, a thought on my part, because we're not told what God's motive was behind that other than he told Moses, you can't enter the land because of what you did back in the wilderness there on that one occasion. And so why did he not let anybody know where he buried Moses? I, again, I suspect that could have become a temptation to make that a holy place, and that would have been out of line for the people of Israel. God is God, and he wanted them to understand he is the only God. And we need to understand that today. We need to not compromise our dedication and commitment to God by, you know, kind of, of, of dividing it into dedication to other whatever you might call them, certainly not idols, but I mean, sometimes people can can make uh, their employment, you know, their job, their career an idol, or they can make relationships with people an idol, you know, and so no, we need to be totally dedicated to God. And so he wanted the people of Israel to understand that. You need to keep yourselves pure spiritually. Do not mix with people who work who worship idols. Don't 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 take up any kind of relationship with them, and particularly do not let your sons and daughters intermarry with them, because that will put them into such an intimate personal relationship that they will become even more susceptible to being drawn into the worship of idols with their foreign partners and 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 ultimately led away from complete dedication to me. So he warned them. Now, when we come to chapter 9 in Joshua, we see a real challenge for the leaders of Israel in relation to that instruction from God. And God was emphatic in that, in that instruction. In fact, he repeated it over and over and over again. Do not get caught up in the idol worship of those peoples. In chapter 9 of Joshua, we read this. Now, they've already fought two battles. Yeah, three, actually, but two of the battles were, were with the same, were surrounded, were, were at the scene of the same city, Ai. And God gave them victory in both of those locations, first Jericho and then Ai. And they've defeated the peoples of those cities and uh, now they're, they're moving on to the next battle scene, basically. But in chapter 9, it says, It came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, heard about it. Well, what did they hear about? They heard that this mighty mass of people 
the Israelites, had crossed the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, and, and these were different peoples who lived in different parts of the land of Canaan, and they heard that they had destroyed the city of Jericho, and they had defeated the people of Jericho, and they had defeated the city of Ai and destroyed it as well. And so they decide to form an alliance. Verse 2 says that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. In other words, all together. So they're going to bring all their numbers together and, and try to confront the Israelite army, all their warriors, with one mighty mass of people who would be their enemy. So it's going to be a massive, massive battle. So they gathered together, they, they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. With one accord. They're going to be united. All right. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks and their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. Now you say, wait a minute, no, now understand, Gibeon was within the land of, of Canaan. Okay, so this was part of the land that God had promised to Israel going all the way back to the forefathers, all the way back to Abraham. Okay, so the Gibeonites were there, but they also heard about how Ai had been defeated and, also, and destroyed, and also how Jericho had been defeated and destroyed, and so they did not join themselves in the alliance with the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, those other peoples within the land of Canaan. They, they decided they were going to try to deceive the leaders of Israel. And, of course, that would be the first and foremost would be Joshua. So they, it says craftily, I believe the text says, um, they, they were going to try to deceive the leaders within Israel that they were not really from Canaan, but that they wanted to make a, a covenant with the people of Israel. And so they, now notice what it says, they worked craftily and they pretended to be ambassadors from a far off country, way outside the borders of Canaan, which again would become the national boundaries of Israel. So they, they, they tried to make it appear that they had traveled a long, long distance to get there to make a covenant with Israel. A covenant would be an agreement, or we might even say in this, in this instance, maybe a treaty, okay? But so how'd they do that? Well, they pretended to be ambassadors, from that far, far off country, and they made it look like they had traveled a long way by taking, you know, old sacks of provision on their donkey, looking like it, they'd worn out a lot during the way, 
old wineskins torn and mended like they had been patched along the way because they'd come so far. It took so long that they were, you know, becoming torn and so on. They, they wore old patched sandals on their feet, worn out, you know, shoes, in other words, basically. And they, they put on themselves old worn out clothing to make it look like, again, they had gone a long way. The bread that they brought with them and their provisions was dry and moldy. You know, like, like boy, they've been traveling for months, maybe months and months to get there. And so all their stuff looked like they were just, it was old stuff, worn. You know, the elements had beaten down on it and so on. And even the bread was old and moldy. Well, all of that was, if you want to look at a technical term, subterfuge. <laughs> it, was all, it was all a hoax, basically, and a lie. If you want to just break it down into bold terms, it was a lie. They lived, they were from the land of Canaan. That's where they were from. But they wanted to make it look like they had come a long, long way over land. Well, in verse 6, they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, that is the Israelite camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Now, again, why did they go through this deception? Why did they, they, you know, try to make it look like they were not from Canaan, but that they had come from a far off country, disguised basically themselves, because they heard what Israel had done to the cities of Jericho and Ai. And they, they thought, yeah, we don't want that to happen to us. So they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, they said to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us, an agreement, a treaty. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us. So they're identified here as Hivites, but they're from, they're Gibeonites, okay? So they say, you know, and, and again, what is it? The men of Israel said to them, maybe you dwell among us. You live here in the land of Canaan? So how can we make a covenant with you? Now, when they ask that question, it's because God had said, don't make any covenants with the people of, of Canaan. Either destroy them in battle or drive them out of the whole land. And so they say, now, how can we make a covenant with you if you're from here, if you live within, within this land? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? Now, they're trying to get, you know, Joshua and the men of Israel, they're trying to, to get the truth out of them. They want to come to understand, who are you really? Where are you from? So they said to him, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord, your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who were at Ashtaroth. And these were kings that Israel had defeated in battle before they entered into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. Battles that they fought along the way getting to that land. And so he said, oh, we've, we've heard about the fame of your, 
of of your of your God. We've heard about His might and power and how you've de, you know you've defeated these other these other kings, and and all that He did to those two kings. Okay, so in verse eleven. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, "Take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us.'" And so they said. Even though they say we're we're from a very far country, we want to be your friends. We 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 say we're here we're here to serve you. Make a covenant with us. Make a treaty with us. An agreement with us. And all of this again was basically you know subterfuge. It was it was deception. You might call it just downright lies. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us and said, "Take provisions." What well, the kind of provisions? old food, the bread, old and moldy, and so on. This bread of ours, we took hot for our provision <laughs> from our houses. Now, that's a lie. We took it hot from our, for, for our provision from our houses. We took it as soon as it was baked, came out of the oven. It was still hot. We put it on our animals and began our journey toward you from that far away country. Again, not just a lot of baloney outright lies, took it hot from, from, for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we filled were new and see, they are torn. And these garments and, and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. It's interesting, just a little bit of an aside, you remember that we emphasize that when God led the, through Moses, led the people through the wilderness wanderings for 40 years, when they got to the border of, of the, uh, they got to the border of the promised land, the east side of the Jordan River, their clothes had not worn out. Their shoes, their sandals had not worn out. And God had provided food for them regularly all along the way, six days a week. Well, but that's just an aside. But here, they're, they're trying to emphasize and, and prove that they came from that very far country because they said, yeah, this bread that's, that you know, we brought along with us, that was fresh and hot when we put it on the back of our animals to carry along. And, and our clothes, well, you, you see, we, they're worn out by now. These wineskins, they were new. Now they're old and ragged and had to be mended along the way. All of that was lies. It was to deceive Joshua and the men of Israel into thinking that they had truly come from a very far off country and they just wanted to have this covenant with the the people of Israel because they had heard how mighty their God is. Well, they had heard how mighty their God is. He is the only true God and he is almighty, but they were not from a far off country. This was all deception and disguise. They were from right there in the land of Canaan where God had told the people of Israel, you drive them out or destroy them, one or the other. Well, they wanted to trick Joshua and the men of Israel into making a covenant with them so they could stay there. And this was going to be a major challenge to, the, to, to what the Israelites had been told by God repeatedly. You either destroy the people of that land in battle, or you drive them out. Don't have anything to do with them. Now, don't make any covenants with them. But that's what the people of Gibeon were trying 
to deceive or trick Joshua and the men of Israel into doing. So, verse 14, Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Now, there's the, see, why did they not take it to the Lord in prayer? Why did they not ask for God's wisdom and guidance? They basically came to accept what these deceivers were telling them without checking with God. Remember what James said in James chapter 4, the last several verses in that chapter? You make plans. You, you say you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to spend that much, this much time there, you're going, to, you're going to buy and sell, you're going to make money, but you don't ask God into your plans. You don't ask for God's directions, for his counsel, for his guidance, for his wisdom. You're just making it all up on your own. Well, we need God's guidance in our lives every day. For some reason, and, and again, ultimately, we can see the devil work, walking, uh, working in the background there. Uh, the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. They did not take it before God. Remember when they had first sent that first contingent of the army against the city of Ai, they were defeated soundly. They were run off and chased by a much smaller force from Ai than they had faced at Jericho. In fact, Joshua only sent a, a small portion of the army against the city of Ai initially. And then when they were so soundly defeated and 30-some of their warriors were killed, they went to the Lord and asked for his guidance. Why did you let this happen? But now these men come to them and, and they failed to turn to the Lord. They failed to ask God for his counsel. Verse 15, so Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to, to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Now, you might say, well, how could they not have known where they were from? Well, remember, this land was new to the Israelites. They had not lived there. Even their forefathers had not lived there for many hundreds of years. Now they were entering into a land that was new to them. They did not know the peoples of that land. And now they had been hoodwinked, <laughs> tricked into making a covenant with, with them. So here's the question we ought to ask ourselves. Now, they made the covenant, but it was a covenant made out of deception. It was a covenant that was made based upon lies, disguise, trickery. Should they have kept that covenant? Remember what God had instructed them. Don't make any covenants with the peoples of that land. Well, could they really be held accountable fully for being tricked into making a covenant? What did they do now? Verse 17, the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shephirah, Beeroth, Kirjath, and, Jer uh, and Kirjath-Jerim. So they found out 
you have lied to us. You live right here in this nation, in this, in this land. Verse 18, but the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. Well, I would suggest, surely, you could go ahead and drive them out of the land because they lied to you. They deceived you into that, into that covenant. Verse 20 says, this we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the ruler said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had, had, as the rulers had promised them. So basically, yeah, okay, we're going to let them stay here. We're going to let them live, but make them truly servants that they said they would be to us. But you see, they were, they were doing that. And I think we could say in violation of God's instruction. Now, they were saying we can't destroy them. We can't drive them out because we made this covenant with them and we swore to them in the name of the Lord. But why would they suppose that the Lord would hold them to that covenant that was made based upon lies and deception and disguise? God's law comes first over man's law. Verse 21, And the ruler said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers and all the for all the congregation, that is, for all the congregation of the Israelites, as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are from a very far country? when you dwell near us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of, uh, uh, for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. So they said, yeah, we was out of fear. We did this. But they did not deny that they lied and deceived and disguised themselves. They were fraudulent in what, in the covenant, from their side of the covenant, they, were, they, were make, they wanted to make with Israel. And now we are here in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. Hmm. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. I think we could say that was a mistake. Big mistake on the part of Joshua and the leadership of Israel. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Well, but see... They let them stay. They let them remain as an influence of ungodliness, of idol worship, exactly opposite of what God had instructed them, commanded them to do. 
and they would pay the price later down the road. We need to recognize, we need to obey God above all else. God knows best. We'll pick up with chapter 10 next time. Interesting chapter. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, thank you for your guidance and your word. Help us to recognize that your word is authoritative and that we need to follow it. We need to obey your will. Help us to submit our will to your will always, to learn the lessons that you have laid out for us in your word about people who did not follow your instructions and the problems that that caused. Help us to be the people, the pure people of Christianity that you want us to be. And please strengthen us and bless us in this. Father, please, we pray. Please forgive us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.